During my university years, I had a summer job working at a fertilizer plant, and I didn't really know anything about how it worked. I just got the job through a family friend, and it paid decent money. Now, I had grown up in a Christian family and was fairly serious about my faith. So, on the first day that I arrived and entered into this environment, I entered into a strange new world. I moved from the university lecture hall to a manufacturing facility with trains and heavy equipment and physical labor and workers who knew nothing of God. Some of them had an amazing ability to pile on curse words in their sentences. Some were able to use four-letter words as nouns, verbs, adjectives, conjunctions, instructions, and exclamations. And sometimes they would do all that in the same sentence. I worked out by the trains where we unloaded phosphate from which they made the fertilizer. And they had a little shack there where we would sit and wait for the trains, especially on cold days. And the shack was wallpapered with sunshine girls. And in the lunchroom, there was a calendar that had pictures of girls barely wearing anything. And then they started to notice that I didn't swear like they did. And I tried not to laugh or even smile at questionable jokes. And I didn't have amazing stories of wild parties from the weekend. So each day became an endurance test. Not just a physical endurance test, but a spiritual one. For I came across many and sudden tests to my loyalty to Christ. In some ways... I might classify that working environment as a God-forsaken place. Now, the phrase God-forsaken is usually used to describe a place that is dreary or dismal. It means the place or the situation lacks attraction. And it must have some roots in relating to God. Maybe the fact that God is associated with joy and life and and beauty and love means that when there's an absence of those things, people will label the situation or label the place God forsaken. And we can live, work, go to school in so-called God forsaken places. You might be the only Christian at your place of work or in your course. You might be the only Christian in your family or in your marriage. You might be the only Christian at work. So you might see these as God-forsaken environments. Or we might feel forsaken because of some hard situation in our lives right now. We sit by the hospital bed or the long-term care bed of a loved one and wonder, where is God in this situation? Or we are processing the news of a difficult diagnosis. Or we're having a tough day dealing with a long-term care situation that we're involved with. Or we're going through a rough time with one of our kids or with our parents. Or someone in your family is doubting God or has walked away from him. Or you're grieving the loss of a loved one. And you wonder, where is God in this situation? 
And the prophet Ezekiel may have had similar thoughts. The Babylonians had forcibly relocated thousands of Jerusalem's residents to Babylon. And this included Ezekiel. Israelites might have called it the most God-forsaken place in their world. They saw idols everywhere. The Babylonians taunted the Israelites, claiming that their god Marduk had defeated Israel's god Yahweh. This had gone on for five years, and they may have wondered about their future and what God was doing. But what if there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place? What if at that fertilizer plant, God was there and God cared about all the people that were there? What if he is with us even when we feel forsaken? And we're going to explore that today as we walk through the first vision Ezekiel shares with us. And I pray that the Lord is going to speak to you about his presence and his reign over whatever situation you find yourself in that may feel like it's a God-forsaken one. So if you have a Bible with you or on your devices, I invite you to turn to Ezekiel 1, or it's on page 588 in the Bibles that are provided for you if you're here with us today. And I'm going to be reading the whole chapter. We looked at verses 1 to 4 last week, but we'll read those again to be reminded and then wade our way through Ezekiel's first vision from the Lord. In the 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day of the month, as I was among the exiles by the Kebar Canal, the heavens were opened, and I saw visions of God. On the fifth day of the month, it was the fifth year of the exile of King Jehoiakim, the word of the Lord came to Ezekiel the priest, the son of Buzi, in the land of the Chaldeans, by the Kebar Canal, and the hand of the Lord was upon him there. And as I looked, behold, a stormy wind came out of the north, and a great cloud with brightness around it, and fire flashing forth continually, and in the midst of the fire, as it were, gleaming metal. And from the midst of it came the likeness of four living creatures. And this was their appearance. They had a human likeness, but each had four faces, and each of them had four wings. Their legs were straight, and the soles of their feet were like the sole of a calf's foot, and they sparkled like burnished bronze. Under their wings, on their four sides, they had human hands, and the four had their faces and their wings thus. Their wings touched one another. Each one of them went straight forward without turning as they went. As for the likeness of their faces, each had a human face. The four had the face of a lion on the right side, the four had the face of an ox on the left side, and the four had the face of an eagle. Such were their faces, and their wings were spread out above. Each creature had two wings, each of which touched the wing of another, while two covered their bodies, and each went straight forward. When Wherever the spirit would go, they went without turning as they went. As for the likeness of the living creatures, their appearance was like burning coals of fire, like the appearance of torches moving to and fro among the living creatures. And the fire was bright 
And out of the fire went forth lightning, and the living creatures darted to and fro like the appearance of a flash of lightning. Now as I looked at the living creatures, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures, one for each of the four of them. As for the appearance of the wheels and their construction, their appearance was like the gleaming of beryl. And the four had the same likeness, their appearance and construction being, as it were, a wheel within a wheel. When they went, they went in any of their four directions without turning as they went. And the rims were tall and awesome, and the rims of all four were full of eyes all around. And when the living creatures went, the wheels went beside them. And when the living creatures rose from the earth, the wheels rose. Wherever the Spirit wanted to go, they went. And the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. And when those went, these went. When those stood, these stood. When those rose from the earth, the wheels rose along with them, for the Spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels." And over the heads of the living creatures, there was like the likeness of an expanse, shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. And under the expanse, their wings were stretched out one toward another, and each creature had two wings covering its body. And when they went, I heard the sound of their wings, like the sound of many waters, like the sound of the Almighty, a sound of tumult, like the sound of an army. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. When they stood still, they let down their wings, and above the expanse, over their heads, there was the likeness of a throne in appearance like sapphire. And seated above the likeness of a throne was a likeness with a human appearance. And upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, a gleaming metal, like the appearance of fire enclosed all around. And downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire. And there was brightness around him like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of the rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell on my face, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Now this passage is quite strange to us as modern readers. It has stirred up many articles and books that attempt to explain its meaning. It's even appeared on the TV show Ancient Aliens, and the producers of the show argue that Ezekiel saw a UFO that he was unable to describe. But upon closer examination, this passage will reveal something more familiar, especially to an ancient Israelite like Ezekiel. So I'm going to unpack the different sections of this vision in three simple steps for each one. We're going to look at what Ezekiel saw, then we'll search for similarities in other parts of the Bible, and then we'll look for the meaning or the symbolism behind what Ezekiel saw. And you can follow along if you got a bulletin today with the picture drawn by the Bible Project, which will help you visualize 
what Ezekiel was seeing. So you've got the picture on one side and you've got the outline of the points on the other with the scriptures that I'll be referring to. If you have the whole poster of Ezekiel from last week from the Bible Project, we're looking at the top left corner. So the top left corner, that will help you visualize also what Ezekiel was seeing. So what does Ezekiel see? First of all, he sees a storm cloud with something like gleaming metal in the center. And according to verse 4, it shines with brilliance and fire and lightning bolts dart back and forth from the cloud. Glorious radiance surrounds the cloud and in its center there is something like gleaming metal. Now to you and I, we might say, oh, that's just a thundercloud or a thunderstorm. Yet thunderstorms normally have very dark clouds. They don't have gleaming metal-like appearance in the middle. And for the ancient Israelite, this description would remind them of a significant moment in their nation's history. Back when they had just escaped slavery from Egypt, they gathered as a nation at a place called Mount Sinai. And there the Lord was going to give them the law and make covenant with them. So listen to Exodus 19, verses 16 to 18, or you can look at it on the other side of this insert. On the morning of the third day, this is Exodus 19 at Mount Sinai with the Israelites, there were thunders and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast so that all the people trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God and they took their stand at the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in fire and the smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln and the whole mountain trembled greatly. So you've got a cloud, you've got thunder, you've got lightning, you've got fire. Similar to Ezekiel's vision of a cloud with lightning darting back and forth and the look of gleaming fire in the middle. Now what might this all mean? Well, it portrays the power of the Lord and the transcendent glory of the Lord. And he is not like other gods, like Marduk, the Babylonian god, that you could paint on a wall or you could carve as an idol. Because we don't and aren't given the form of God. Nor does God need constant polishing and shining like the idols did to remain bright. For his brightness comes from himself. He himself emits radiance and light. So when the Lord appeared in a storm, he would come this way and it often symbolized a day of reckoning. Either a good day, for he was coming to bring good news, or a bad day, a day of judgment. But that's just the first piece of the vision. The second piece gets really interesting, where Ezekiel sees four fiery creatures with four faces and four wings. And they take up verses 5 to 14 of this vision. And again, if you're looking at the, at the drawing, you can see an artist's depiction of them. There's three of them that you can see there. Ezekiel says they have human likeness, but then they don't seem very human. They have four faces, four wings, and though they have straight legs, the bottom of their legs are like the feet of a calf. 
The creatures sparkle according to verse 7, and under their wings they have human hands, which are not shown on this drawing. And that's because two of the four wings cover their bodies. And the other of the two wings are stretched out in a flying position, touching the next cherubim's wings. Somehow they can move without turning. And then Ezekiel describes the four faces. One is human. Then there's a lion's face on the right side, an ox's face on the left side, and an eagle's face. And you can see depictions of the different faces on the diagram. And he concludes their description by describing their fiery appearance. Verse 13, they appeared like burning coals of fire or like the appearance of torches darting to and fro. The fire was bright and out of it came lightning bolts. So these creatures were likely part of the gleaming metal or gleaming metal appearance in the middle of the cloud. They're bright and they're blazing. And these creatures are weird. We can't put all the pieces together to make them into something recognizable for us. And that is the point. These are what one commentator calls category-breaking creatures. They bring together pieces of creation that are not supposed to be together, yet they somehow are. And we find similar creatures in Isaiah 6, another vision of God, where there the creatures are called seraphim. Ezekiel will label these creatures cherubim in chapter 10 when we get there. And they show up at different key moments in redemptive history. One example is in Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve rebel against the Lord, and ultimately he pronounces this curse against Adam, Eve, and the serpent, and then he removes them from the garden. And listen to Genesis 3, verse 24. He drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So there you have cherubim and flames. And they also show up in the design for the temple. Solomon will have cherubim carved and covered with gold to stand in the Holy of Holies with the Ark of the Covenant. But what do these cherubim point to what is the meaning of all that is described here why the face of a man lion ox and eagle seems so random to us but to the ancient israelite these were very familiar symbols the lion symbolized strength ferocity courage and royalty the eagle was the fastest and most stately bird the ox was the most valuable domestic animal and a symbol of fertility, and humans had abilities in reason and intelligence. So one commentator says that merged together, these four-faced cherubim declare that the Lord has the strength and majesty of a lion, the swiftness and mobility of an eagle, the procreative power of the bull, and the wisdom and reason of humankind. Yet we must also pay attention to the number four, Four living creatures, four faces, four wings, four directions. This number appears to represent the four points of the compass pointing to the universal reign of the Lord. There is no place, 
no corner, no classroom, no home, and no region where the Lord cannot go to or rule over. And he demonstrates this reality by showing up in Babylon, in the center of the Babylonian Empire. And here the Lord has arrived. So we see God appear as this powerful storm cloud with transcendent glory. And then these category-breaking creatures called cherubim remind us of his rule over all of creation in all places. Next, Ezekiel sees four wheels beside the creatures that move by the Spirit. And if you look at the diagram and you look at the wheels, you think, they're pointless. They're not attached to anything. In fact, in verse 15, Ezekiel says, I saw a wheel on the earth beside the living creatures. Well, what good is a wheel beside something or someone? It has to be attached. It has to be holding up the platform on which the cherubim stand. Yet these wheels somehow fulfill their role. They gleam, they shine. Somehow there's a wheel within a wheel. So it could be as depicted in this drawing where you've got the wheel and then you've got the inner wheel with the spokes. Or it could be a wheel with another wheel at a 90 degree angle. Indicating that this contraption, whatever it is, can go in whatever direction it wants. They also move in the four directions without turning. And verse 18 tells us they were awesome rims with eyes all over. And then Ezekiel reveals what drives the wheels. Not an internal combustion engine. It's the spirit, according to verse 20. The spirit of the living creatures was in the wheels. So that's why there's no axles. That's why there's no connection the spirit of the living creature somehow enters the wheels and causes them to move. It's kind of like engine by Wi-Fi. The spirit of the living creatures somehow inhabits the wheels and directs them. And we're told these wheels can land on the earth or rise up from the earth. Now this seems very strange to us. What could this thing be? Yet we find similar images in other parts of Scripture. Like 1 Chronicles 28, where the chronicler is reviewing what King David set out as his specifications for the temple. And listen to 1 Chronicles 28, 18. So this is the plan David had in mind for the golden chariot of the cherubim that spread their wings and cover the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. So cherubim are on some sort of chariot in the Holy of Holies. Or listen to this vision from the prophet Daniel, Daniel 7, verse 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days, another name for God, took his seat, and his clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Well, that puts some context onto Ezekiel's vision. He is seeing some sort of chariot throne. And what do these wheels in Ezekiel mean? Well, filled with divine energy, they display God's ability to go anywhere at any speed necessary. Two more pieces to this vision. Next, he sees a platform with a throne held up by the four living creatures' wings. 
So verse 22 to the first half of verse 26 is where we find this. And in verse 22 we read, Over the heads of the living creatures there was the likeness of an expanse shining like awe-inspiring crystal spread out above their heads. So this is like a platform, not a dirty piece of plywood, but a crystal platform that the cherubim hold up with their wings. And the ancient Israelite who knew their scriptures would immediately recognize this from another significant moment in their history. In Exodus 24, Israel is still at Mount Sinai. Remember where the Lord has appeared as a storm. And in Exodus 24, the Lord gives Moses and the 70 elders of Israel an incredible gift. He shows himself to them. So Exodus 24, verses 9 and 10. Listen to this. Then Moses went up to Mount Sinai with Aaron, Nadab, and Abihu, and the 70 of the elders of Israel, and they saw the God of Israel, and then listen, and under his feet there appeared to be a pavement of sapphire, as clear as the skies themselves, like a crystal platform that we find in Ezekiel. And then, for the first time, Ezekiel describes what he heard. The sound of the cherubim's wings sounded like many waters or the voice of the Lord or a massive army approaching. So that this is not just an awe-inspiring sight, it's an awe-inspiring sound. And then above the expanse he sees a throne made out of sapphire or lapis lazuli, which is a brilliant blue color. And then Ezekiel sees the culmination of the vision where a human-like figure sits on a throne that blazes with glory and fire. Middle of verse 26 to the end. And as I read this, I want you to pay attention or see if you can pick out two phrases that are repeated over and over again. So verse 26, six, second half. And seated above the likeness of the throne was a likeness with human appearance, and upward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, gleaming metal, like the appearance of, of fire, enclosed all around and downward from what had the appearance of his waist, I saw, as it were, the appearance of fire, and there was brightness all around him, like the appearance of the bow that is in the cloud on the day of rain, so was the appearance of the brightness all around. So did you notice the two phrases? There, they are, was a likeness, and had the appearance of. Was a likeness is repeated four times. Had the appearance of is used ten times. Ezekiel is seeing someone beyond description. He is struggling to describe what he sees or who he sees. He has not seen anyone like this ever in his life. So he does his best. He sees a human-like figure, but he's not an ordinary human, for from his waist up he gleams or shines like glowing metal, and from his waist down it's like it's on fire. And notice that this blazing with glory figure is seated on a throne above everything, above the cherubim, above the wheels, above the earth, above Babylon. The Lord reigns over it all. 
And Ezekiel finally realizes who he sees in the second half of verse 28. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And as you see on the picture, they say the glory is the physical manifestation of God's presence. Ezekiel was given this gift of seeing God. And all of this adds up to a glorious piece of good news for Ezekiel. Ezekiel sees that the glorious God rules over all creation, even when his people experience exile. And in this vision, God redefines Ezekiel's category of relationship with him. The ancient Israelites, including Israel, thought they could only meet with God at the temple in Jerusalem. So when they were away from Jerusalem, they prayed towards Jerusalem because they believed that's where God was. But here, God has shown up in Babylon, revealing that the entire creation is his temple, not one building in Jerusalem. There is no place that is beyond his presence, his reign, or his sight. And though this was the worst of times for the Jews, This vision reveals God is still on the throne. God still reigns as sovereign over history and over Babylon. God will accomplish his purposes and judge evil, including the sins of his own people, which we will see next week is the reason why they're in Babylon. Yet God has not forsaken his people. Though there is judgment, he will restore. And this exile will not last forever. And not only is God sovereign, he is loving. For God demonstrated his love by sending his son into the ultimate exile of becoming human and becoming obedient to his father and becoming a servant and becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And he actually experienced God forsakenness so that we wouldn't have to. And those who know Christ now have this glorious Lord on their side. So, when it feels like God has forsaken our corner of the universe, our classroom, our workplace, our family, or our loved one's hospital room, we need to revisit places like Ezekiel 1. It reveals the all-powerful, all-seeing God who rapidly and effortlessly travels to any part of the earth. He is beyond human description and comprehension. He is Lord over every creature, earthly and heavenly, and he comes in righteousness to bring judgment upon evil. So since the glorious God rules over all creation, even when we experience exile, we must run to him safety Proverbs 18.10 says the name of the Lord is a strong tower the righteous man runs to it and is safe how do you run to the Lord's tower to the Lord's name you rehearse who the Lord is and Ezekiel 1 gives us multiple images and descriptions to fuel our thinking So let's practice this. Think of some situation in your life right now where it feels kind of God-forsaken. Maybe a relationship, maybe an environment, maybe something that you've prayed about for many years that seems like nothing is happening, seems like God-forsaken. 
And and then maybe you could pray and ask the Lord to point you to one piece of himself that's revealed in this vision. Maybe his transcendent glory, maybe his power, maybe his sovereignty, maybe his presence in any situation, maybe his ability to go or be anywhere, or his beauty, or his willingness to reveal himself. Something that he wants you to dwell on. So let's, let's spend a few moments just dwelling on one attribute of God. And with that attribute of God in mind now, we run to the Lord's tower. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. And imagine that you are going into this tower where the Lord God, with that attribute, whichever one you focused on, is is there waiting for you. And he is going to reign over He has the power. He is present. Whatever situation you're thinking of, he is is there with all of his attributes. And Lord God, we join Ezekiel in this moment struggling to understand. And we are drawn in to the reality that he struggled to describe what he saw plainly. And that is both in some ways terrifying and in some ways comforting that you are so far above us and so powerful and so glorious and so all-knowing and all-seeing and reigning over all despite the way things look to us. And you know every situation that is being thought about here today by the people here online and I pray that you will impress upon us some attribute of yourself. And it may not answer the question that we have right now, but just that attribute and just that reality of you, about you might be a comfort to us as we go forward. For there is no such thing as a God-forsaken place. You are everywhere, Lord. In light of that, Lord, help us to live in hope, in joy, in peace because of who you are. We pray in your all-powerful name. Amen.